You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. As always, I am your host Daniel Lee or photos by DLEE. As you can see, it's been like what one month now since the last episode. Apologize for that. You know, I was going to update on the TPE Twitter as to why I wasn't recording, but I don't think anyone even follows that Twitter or looks at it, so I didn't see the point. Otherwise, the main reason I didn't release an episode is my mic stand broke. So when I was getting something out of my cupboard, I usually keep the mic quite high up. Maybe my issue was that. And that fell, tried to catch it, only managed to catch one thing. Technically, the mic and my WWE belt fell. So that's, you know, I went for the WWE belt to save that first. My mic fell. The mic sort of wasn't damaged, but then the stand was. So I didn't have any backup stand and I had a nightmare about trying to order another one, which I'll go into. So yeah, that's why I didn't have a podcast for a few weeks. But this week, sort of a little bit of a main topic, more just covering news. Because obviously I've missed quite a bit in that one month. So first we'll do some personal updates, then some news, and then partially main topic slash news that, you know, discussion. So personal updates. So yeah, as I mentioned, mic broke. The um, I'll go into more detail now. So the reason why it's a hassle and took so long. So originally I had bought a replacement mic from a company called DigiDirect. DigiDirect are a pretty big camera retailer here in Australia. In Sydney, they're one of the sort of main ones and that. Now, with them and a few other camera retailers here in Australia, they don't really advertise their actual stock levels. So when you buy something from off them off them or something, you don't know whether they actually have that item in stock and you don't even know when they'll get it. Not so much them, but there's another manufacturer that, uh, not man, another store I bought from that, you know, you ask, you they'll put something on sale, the set you buy it that day on sale, you don't even know, like when you, then you wait like a week, you haven't heard anything from them. You call them up and they don't even give you a date. They say, oh, we don't even know when we're getting stock in. You know, what's the point of the sale? A lot more stores, you know, that's why people would shop at places like Amazon or JB Hi-Fi here, because they actually advertise if they have that item in stock. And if they don't have it in stock, you can't buy it. Simple as that. Whereas stores like DigiDirect and to an extent, George's as well have done it in the past and do do it. They do sell items that they have no stock of and they don't even know when they're going to get stock of either, which is the worst part. So pretty much, you know, the mic broke and I went into store. I think it was on the, yeah, so I went in the store, I think it was on the 22nd of September to ask about getting that replacement part. And they said, we have one in stock in the warehouse. If you order it in three days time, you'll get it. So 25th and 9th, I ordered it. And then, you know, waiting and waiting. It came to the 4th of October. I still hadn't received it. So I asked their online chat, you know, what was happening. They told me, oh yeah, there's one in stock remaining in the main warehouse, but they're not sure if that store will get it. So that's pretty much it. And then when I asked, you know, about a refund and all that, I was just told simply, oh yeah, you have to speak to the store. We'll cancel it. You do the, you do the rest. Pretty much the worst service. So that was all on the 4th, keep in mind. The 9th still hadn't canceled the order, even though they said they'd canceled it on that day. No refund, no follow-up, no nothing. So now on the 15th, I only just received my refund for that item. After all that time, something I ordered, you know, almost a month ago, which is crazy. Yes, it's a $25, you know, $22 clip, but it's not so much about that. It's just about the service. I imagine if I bought like a $1,000 camera and I needed it for a holiday or for an event, 
what am I going to do then? Eventually what happened was I ended up just going on, like I originally seen it there. I think it was out of stock originally, but Amazon was selling it as well from Amazon Direct, not from someone else. And it was like $4 or $5 more, but I ordered it. I have Prime, so free next day shipping. Received it the next day. Easy, you know, so much better. Their stock is obviously accurate. You know exactly if it's in stock or not. If it's not, you won't be able to buy it. Simple as that. Much, much better. You know, it's good to support your local retailers, but only if your local retailers actually provide good service. If they provide bad service, why support them? It is simple as that. Support whoever gives you good service for good price. Simple as that. If you know these local stores do want people to still shop at them and still give them the support and the customers, you know, they need to actually earn it. They can't just be say that, oh yeah, I'm a local store, support me, and then that's it. They need to provide service that is worth backing. There's a store locally as well called Camera Pro. I find their service and all that kind of stuff is really good. And they're actually upfront as well about their stock levels. They advertise whether they have stuff in stock, but I rarely buy from them mainly because they never have it in stock. I've noticed, I think Canon, Nikon, Sony, whoever, they seem to prioritize all the other stores for some reason for giving them stock, even though those other stores are horrible. So if they had much better stock, I think I'd be shopping with them a lot more. But yeah, it is what it is. Still having heaps of asthma issues. I'm taking my inhaler almost every day, which obviously hasn't made making this podcast any easier. I usually can't go you know, long without coughing unless I take my inhaler, but I don't want to become dependent on medicine just to be able to breathe, obviously. So because of that, it's usually hard to go without taking my puffer. I've gone back to the days of having to actually have my inhaler with me everywhere I go just in case I start getting an asthma attack. Apparently it's meant to be from what I read in the news because of this weather. So, you know, hopefully, I don't know, I like the storm, I like the rain, but at the same time, I don't want my lungs to be bad. So it's a bit undetermined. I'm undetermined what I want. Either way, I've still been able to exercise in that. So that's the main thing to me. As long as I can keep exercising, I'm happy. I've also been taking quite a few photos over the past week or so. You know, I've been updating photos by DOE regularly, almost weekly. I haven't been shooting as much in the past week or so. I don't know, it's just felt like a very weird, long, busy week for me. We also had daylight savings start as well, which has not helped because I really hate daylight savings, hate late sunsets, you know, 7 p.m. now rather than like 5.30, which is annoying. Uh, I really want to go out and use my 16 to 35, do some cityscapes, but sadly haven't got the chance. My wife is going away for a few weeks in November, so I'm sure that when she's out, maybe I'll go out a bit later in that because, you know, I'll be sleeping earlier, but that doesn't really work out as easy, but I'll figure it out somehow. I might even do sunrise shoots because I'm able to wake up, sleep earlier and wake up earlier. So a few shots that I've never shot sunrise from, I can give that a try. Otherwise, you know, always the gear temptation. We're planning our next holiday and I keep thinking over what camera I, what gear I want to take for that holiday because I really love the 35 GM. Anytime I take it out, it's magic. But then at the same time, 16 to 35 is more versatile when traveling. I don't want to bring 16 to 35 and 35. I just would rather bring one of the two. But then what I do, you know, do I bring the Fuji for everything else? It's oh, it's just so stressful. And then I thought maybe if the, I didn't have the Fuji, I had an A7C, that plus with a 50 millimeter, an actual 50 millimeter, it would work out even better. And that way I could bring the 85 as well. Because the A7C is almost the same weight as the XS10. It's like 100 grams or 50 grams heavier. And the lenses is pretty much a wash as well. So that's why it's just so confusing, so tempting with all these gear stuff. but. I'm just going to hold it for now because my PC needs the attention more. I need to upgrade my storage is getting full. Otherwise, that's it for personal updates. Quite a bit of a long one for today. Now onto the news. 
So first up, Tamron has or brings its 150mm to 500mm f5 to 6.7 lens to Fujifilm X-mount, which is a great announcement. So this lens was originally announced in April 2021 for Sony's FE mount, their full frame mount. It's an equivalent to a 225 to 750mm ultra telephoto zoom because Fuji has a 1.5 times crop. The tripod's mount, the tripod mount, sorry, foot is Arca Swiss compatibles, which is, you know, most common for a tripod. So that will really help. It has 25 elements in 16 groups, a minimum focusing distance of 60 centimeters on the wide end and 180 on the long end, which is actually really good considering, you know, the focal range. Has a filter thread of 82 millimeters, which is pretty big, but it is a big telephoto lens. It weighs 1.7 kilos on Fuji. It has a seven bladed aperture and will be available on October 13th, 2022 for $14.99, which is already, you know, at the time of recording two days ago. So you can already go out and buy it by the time this episode releases. This is really good to see Fuji, you know, releasing this. I'm a bit surprised that this was the next lens that they sort of release because I know the 70 and the 70 is out. I thought they would have done their 11 to 20 millimeter because that's like an actual APS-C lens. But I'm guessing maybe because Fuji has a lot of lenses covered, whereas I don't know their lineup really well, but I do believe that they don't have the telephoto end covered as well as maybe the mid to zoom uh, wide range. So that's why Fuji, um, Fuji, Tamron's seen this as the best next lens to release because it's something very different that usually Fuji people can't buy. I think for someone with an X-H2S and that super fast new autofocus, this will definitely be something of interest because you know if you're getting that fast autofocus you probably may be shooting wildlife so this could work out really well for you to have otherwise you know i don't know what i think you know tamron kind of do that 100 to 400 not sure of the exact you know aperture on that but i'm sure it would cost more than compared to this third party lens so the more lenses tamron release for fuji the better and i hope to see them continue to do this and continue to release lenses and then eventually you know Everyone will have Tamron lenses except for Canon. Next up, Nikon have announced a 70 to 28 millimeter f2.8 lens for their full frame Z mount mirrorless cameras. So this is pretty much what appears to be a rehouse version of Tamron's 17 to 28 millimeter lens. You know, with obviously Nikon's looks kind of thing. When this lens was first announced, I looked, you know, online. If you look at the actual lens construction and lens design, the internal, because when you look up this kind of stuff, you can see the way the elements are laid out. Pretty much exactly the same. All the specs are pretty much exactly the same, which are, you know, 450 grams or 15.9 ounces, which is 30% lighter than the flagship Nikkor 14 to 24 f2.8 S lens. And it's still even smaller and lighter than the 485 gram 14 to 30 millimeter f4 lens. Obviously, those lenses are 14 millimeters. And for wide angles, that 3 millimeters makes a big difference but you know it's still a good light lens for someone who doesn't really care so much about 14 millimeter and you technically get four millimeters on the long end if you're talking about the other 2.8 lens obviously you're losing two losing two millimeters for the f4 lens though it has a 67 millimeter filter thread just like most of these tamron rebadge lenses which is obviously a good thing 67 is pretty common filter thread and tamron tend to keep it the same throughout their whole zoom range it has an internal zoom, so it won't be poking out when you don't want it to poke out at the wrong situation. It's weather sealed to protect from dust and water droplets. It has an STM motor for its fast autofocus. 
clickless control ring, a minimum focus distance of 19 centimeters or 7.56 inches. And uh, Nikon Z17 to 28 f2.8 will be available in late October 2022 for $1,199.95 US. Now it's interesting that Nikon chose to rebadge Tamron lenses and, you know, sort of sell them as their own rather than just sell the Tamron ones straight out. Either way, this is a great cheaper option for those who do use Nikon. You know, it's better than having no like cheaper or better, like high quality, cheaper options in that mid-range. <coughs> but, you know, the more they do this, the better it is. It's really great for Nikon as well. Although, you know, they do have a big FX lineup. Not everyone wants to bother with older lenses. Some people want new modern lenses, don't want to have to deal with adapters. So this is nothing but a pure win for Nikon. It'll be interesting what other lenses come out on Nikon and whether they will be rehoused Tamron lenses. So if we get like a Nikon 20 to 40 millimeter, which is the next one, or if it's just going to come out as purely that. But either way, I'm sure it's a very exciting time for Nikon users. And they either have to worry about having limited options or missing out on third-party options and being tempted to swap if lenses are purely the area that they feel like they're missing out on. Next up, which is related to the one I just said, Tamron have announced a 20 to 40 millimeter f2.8 lens for Sony FE cameras. Now, Tamron has announced the launch of this new lens for full-frame Sony E-mount cameras. Only Sony at the moment. I'm still interested to see if eventually we're going to get these announcements alongside Nikon and stuff as well. This particular lens is constructed of 12 elements in 11 groups, including four low dispersion elements, two GM glass molded spherical elements, and one hybrid spherical element. It has a minimum focusing distance of 17 centimeters. It's got a VXD AF motor, which is compatible with Sony features such as fast hybrid AF and IAF. Its focus ring can be customized, it has a 67mm filter thread, a 9-bladed aperture, it weighs 364 grams, and will be available starting October 27th, 2022, a few weeks time, for $699, US which is a pretty decent price for what this lens is. I know most astro shooters would usually want like a faster lens, but 2.8 is pretty decent, I think, so that 20 to 40mm range would be really good. If you don't need like a really extreme UWA, Focal length, you know, 16, 14. This could be a really great option for travel because you got something quite wide, much wider than 24 anyway. And it goes all the way to 40 millimeters as well. So this could be another great option once it's on, you know, soon Tamron or if this comes to Nikon as well, this would be an excellent option as well for many people. I don't know if this would be the lens for me as usual. I'm really happy with my 16 to 35 and what I currently have. Don't feel the need to really get anything else, but... Otherwise, this lens, yeah, great option for Sony shooters that want that kind of range. I think for a video lens, this will probably be pretty damn good. Maybe that's, you know, what it's sort of aimed at. But otherwise, I'm sure there's people out there that are ready to buy it. Next up, TikTok adds photo sharing mode directly taking on Instagram. So TikTok has now added a photo sharing mode on what was, you know, a previously video focused app. So it announces part of a new editing tools update on the TikTok product blog. Users will now be able to upload still photos standalone as part or as part of a carousel format. A quote says photo mode allows you to share carousel posts of still images that automatically display one after another. You can add music to soundtrack the images which viewers can swipe through at their own pace. 
So at launch, these won't be visible on the browser-based versions, only on the app. And this, you know, is not long after Instagram had, you know, previously kind of tried to move completely away from photos and focus more on video. And also, you know, recently they did announce that they're going to be introducing even more ads. So it's very interesting TikTok are doing this. In the past, you know, like with, say, MySpace to Facebook, you see that new platform come along and would always overtake what the previous one was. Obviously, Instagram was doing that. That was overtaking Facebook. And then Zuckerberg bought that. So that sort of saved him for a little bit, you know. Whereas with this, TikTok, they're not going to sell. And they're pretty much, you know, you can see the amount of users using or meta, like Facebook and Instagram, is reducing. Interest is reducing. You know, Instagram was always more of a stills-focused platform. They try to focus more on video just to copy with TikTok. And now they're just losing all their user base. So it's good to see. Well, you know, I personally can't wait for a world without IG or Facebook. Sure, there will be other social medias around, but anything's better than IG and Facebook, something run by them, you know? So I don't know what the quality of the photos on TikTok would be like. I don't really use it. The only thing I use TikTok for is to look at cat videos or animal videos. And like, I have a thing watching those really disgusting videos, you know, like the ingrown hair removals. I don't know why. It's just so good to watch the ingrown hair removal, <laughs> like the for your pleasure videos, that kind of stuff. I watch the ingrown hair removals in cat videos. That's pretty much all I use it for. But if they can display the photos in like better quality compared to what you would see on Instagram, then they're already winning, you know? Anything that can take traction away from Instagram and further give it to TikTok, I'm happy with. I know there's a common criticism of stuff like, you know, TikTok because it's, I think it's owned by a Chinese company that, you know, they're going to sell your info or China's spying on your stuff. But someone is spying on your stuff regardless of which platform you use. If you're using a social, a product that's free, you are the product. So it doesn't really matter, to be honest. They're both as bad as each other. Whereas, you know, for me, I would rather TikTok over Instagram. Mainly because, you know, Instagram, for me, I much preferred Flickr, much preferred 500px. No lot of photographers try to claim Instagram was great. I never was one for it. So yeah, that's why I don't really care if it disappears altogether. Next up is sort of one I'll go into a bit more detail for. So... So Unsplash, they have added a paid tier and one year after Getty had taken them over. So if you don't know who Unsplash are, they're a free stock photography website. They recently announced that, yeah, they're going to pretty much have a paid version. So it's going to be called Unsplash Plus, which offers paying members access to curated content available for commercial licenses with extra legal protections and unlimited downloads. A quote from them states, Members will get access to a constantly growing library of premium visuals that are not available in the free Unsplash library and enjoy an ad-free experience on Unsplash.com. So Unsplash stresses that it's an open library isn't going anywhere and that it's extensive free-to-use photo library will remain. So you can submit any application to be one of the plus creators, which lets you get paid per image appointed into the Unsplash library. I believe you'll also get sort of special assignments, like kind of like what Getty does. They'll often mail you saying, you know, Google wants photos of people breaking their laptop. You know, they don't actually request that, but you know, that kind of thing. People, they have certain specific things they want and they'll let you know and you can shoot to that and submit them. And obviously potentially your stuff can get picked. So with this, instead of receiving royalty payments from sales, like other stock photography websites, Unsplash proposes a one-time per image fee. So in further detail, they explain complex briefs with models and unique locations may be priced higher than, say, landscapes or environmental shots with no people. 
And for example, if the brief price is $10 per image and Unsplash accepts 100 photos from that content, you submit in response to that brief, then you will receive $1,000. So it's a bit more up clear and rates for photos will range on average between $5 to $30 an image. I know the article did note that they found it strange that, you know, Getty, who's always been like a paid kind of thing, would get into this free or freemium kind of model. But it makes sense. Like, say they just paid. Now they can sort of control what Unsplash does. So say, you know, they're losing too much to free stuff on Unsplash. They could literally get rid of Unsplash because they own it. You know, sure, someone else can start another Unsplash, but being it's a free model, the only thing you're really going to make money on is sort of advertising. So that can only get you so far. Eventually, they probably want to be acquired, which is when Getty can come along again, acquire them, shut, shut it down kind of thing. Recently, I actually tried stock photography as well. I could even make this title about stock photography. So I've never been one for stock photography, never really tried it. But recently, someone had bought or someone bought licensed one of my photos. They messaged me because of my blog. They seen a photo they wanted to use. So I complied, you know, they wanted to use it happily and they paid me for it, which I haven't got paid for yet. And I hope you can get paid for soon, but not too sure what's happening with that. Who knows? I, it's definitely not a scam. It's a news article. I've seen it published just waiting. You know, this kind of stuff, sometimes you have to wait for invoice periods, which they told me. So I'm not too fussed about that. But regardless, this had made me want to get into something. So I was watching Jared Poland's videos and he was mentioning Wirestock. Keep in mind, I'm not affiliated with anything. You know, as you know, every podcast, I am not affiliated with anyone. I am a nobody in the world of photography. So you do not have to worry about this being some paid or sponsored ad. I wish. <laughs> but either way, you know, Jared Poland always goes on about that site, the Wirestock. So I thought I'd, you know, considering it, but not really. But then after this person bought my image, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll be upfront. They paid $150 to use it. So $150, that may not be a huge amount. Maybe someone who does this professionally a lot more, like stock photography, licensing their images, that's probably nothing. They probably laugh at me and think I got ripped off. But the way I seen it was, my images are making me no money right now. I do it for purely for fun. So any money I can get, that 150, 100% happy with that. I have zero issue with that. I think that's a very fair price. But in saying that, that made me want to give this more of a try. So that's why I have now started looking into stock photography. So with stock photography, I will honestly, you know, I'm not going to take it too seriously. I don't know if I'll do topics, you know, like what their main, their briefs are. Obviously, that's probably the easiest way to get your images sold is by following these briefs. But any images I have, I think that the nice show something that someone may want to license, I'm going to upload to there. Someone buys it, that's good. If not, you know, doesn't really hurt me at all. Maybe I lose a few minutes uploading it, but that's it. There's no issue with it. Something like this is Unsplash. I still personally think that it's, you know, it's smart of them to upload this, do this premium thing. I've looked at Unsplash before. There's some really great images on there. So I feel like some people on there could be benefiting from joining this program and actually making some money from it. I definitely don't see any issue with any of this. You know, if you want to license your images, up to you. If you don't want to, you want to give them away for free. You know, as I said, Unsplash has that option. I can't imagine them locking your images and forcing you to sell it because, you know, that should be against the thing. Because if you're uploading it and you don't want it sold, obviously for each image you sell, they're bound to take a cut out of that. So, you know, you'd have to agree for them to be able to do that. So it should still be a case of whatever image you want to sell, you want to license, you know, is up to you and you can choose whether to make it free or not. They're probably hoping to get, you know, some more maybe experienced and different types of images and photographers on the 
paid platform, but would I do it? Maybe, maybe I'll apply to, but at the same time, you know, I don't know what kind of images they want and what kind of images they want to see. So either way, stock photography, I think I went over before, you know, might be a way to make some money from probably better, honestly, than doing like paid work for someone like me that doesn't like really interacting with customers or, you know, doing it that way kind of thing. Be a lot less pressure as well compared to like paid portraits or, you know, weddings, that kind of stuff, birthdays. Otherwise, that is pretty much it. It was just a quick, simple one so I could, you know, get back on, get back into this. Next week, probably have a better topic. I haven't, I'm going to be starting on a Sony review soon. So I've used the camera a lot. I feel like I've got a really good hang of it now. I've got an understanding of it because, you know, going back to the a7 IV, it's not like greatly different to the a7 III. It's very familiar, very similar, not really much to different to it, you know, performance difference wise, but the Sony ecosystem is very different, but yet so good to be back on Sony. I, aside from obviously this week, I, like I said, I feel like I've been using my camera so much more. So I'm really happy about that. Otherwise, I guess it's time to wrap things up. So as always, please subscribe. It would be great if you could leave a review as well. Even reach out to me on Twitter. Let me, if you don't want to leave a review, just let me know what you think, what I could do better. There's a link in the show notes to submit your own topic. If it's something that like camera gear wise, if it's lenses I've used, I'm happy to cover that, you know, this versus that if I've used them. If not, I don't think it's sort of like a purpose of me talking about stuff I've never used. Yeah, so if you want to see reviews, limited tutorials, plus more of these podcasts, you can go to thephotographyenthusiast.com. If you want to see my personal work, you can find me at photosbydlwe.com. You can follow me on Twitter at photosbydlwe. I've also started using Reddit. Maybe that'll be the topic next week. But otherwise, all of this info is in the show notes. If you enjoy this, subscribe. Take care out there. Make sure I will definitely be back in another fortnight unless something happens to me. So let's hope I am back. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. Take care. See you.